You are listening to the Next Best Picture Podcast, and this is our review of F9. The world has a way of changing. <laughs> and we change too. I know some people, they would die for me. There are moments that separate us. But we always come back together. We heard y'all needed a little love out here. <laughs> Y'all ever thought about the wild missions we've been on? We've taken out planes, trains, tanks. I'm not going to even think about the submarine. And now we got cars flying in the air? Who is he? Jacob is Dom's brother. It's a long time, Dom. Little brother. You always say never turn your back on family. But you turned your back on me. Now your little family is in my world. Are you ready? Whatever's on you. Is you ready? It's on us. Are you ready? He's got his own private army. We need help. what's he got? No way. Is you ready? So how do y'all want to play this? Fast. We going. Oh, we going. Oh, oh, Okay, this is a bad time to mention this, but I don't drive. Brother against brother. This should be interesting. But could you kill him? Get the e-bike for me, would you, darling? <laughs> Crank it all the way up. Get back! We the soldiers. Get, 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 get back! Man, we messing with magnets now? If you woke, don't wake up. Whoa. Get back! Get front. Yeah, everything we gave up. Even when we die, we raise up. Yeah! It's good to be back. We got no white flag and no tree. We got the product. We got the tools. We supposed to stop that? Hold on! We going wild. We on the loose. People is blind. We are the truth. Yes! <laughs> I spent my entire life in your shadow. And now... You spend the rest of yours. Yeah! Living in mine. You acting like we on our way to Home Depot. Hudson! No, Ted! Ah! I don't want to die! All right, everybody. You were just listening to the trailer for F9, and the story is as follows. Dominic Toretto and his crew join forces to battle the most skilled assassin and high-performance driver they've ever encountered, his forsaken brother. The film is starring Vin Diesel, Michelle Rodriguez, Tyrese Gibson, Chris Ludacris Bridges, John Cena, Jordana Brewster, Natalie Emmanuel, Sung Kang, Michael Rooker, Helen Mirren, Kurt Russell, and Charlize Theron. It is written and directed by Justin Lin and co-written by Daniel Casey. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Danilo Castro. Ride or die. 
and Daniel Howitt. Hello, hello, hello. And I don't need co-hosts for this podcast. I've got family. <laughs> no? All right. All right. Didn't land? I'll, I'll accept it. I'll Is accept it possible it. that maybe on the ninth time it's getting a bit stale? Some grease needs to be applied to the parts for them to run better? Some more gas in the tank. There's a lot of puns that can be used to talk about this franchise. I'll tell you this, though. Danilo, Howitt, it's been a while since you guys have heard me in this mode. But I'm going to rant today. Oh. I haven't ranted in a while. Matt, you will not be alone in ranting. I'm going to buckle up for this. Well, I want to hear some of that because the Fast Saga, as it's now being called, is a franchise that has had many ups and downs, many changes and evolutions over the last 20 years since the original film Fast and the Furious came out in 2001. And I can say there have been times where I've been really on board with this franchise. And I can now say there are times where I feel like very much where I was back before Fast Five started, where it's just like, let it die. It's over. And the film and, and the franchise is ending in two films after this. There will be a 10 film and an 11 film. I don't know why they're doing an 11 film. 10 seems like a good number to end on. Maybe it's a part one, part two scenario. I don't know. All I do know is that this world, this franchise has gotten so big that not even a 145 minute long film can contain it all at this point. Oh, I've got so much to say. I've got so much to rant about. I, I know people have fun with this franchise still. I totally get that. But we got to address some of these issues. We, and, you know, I think we can address some of these issues while acknowledging the good stuff at the same time. You know, it's a lot like the horror franchises, like of Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees. You got your silly ones. You've got your good ones. You've got your fan favorites. And you got the, like the really, really, really shitty ones that people just love to make fun of that are funny because they're so bad. There are so many films in this franchise at this point that you're bound to have a stinker or two in there because the formula is just running dry. Man, this is like the longest intro I've ever had before I get to opening thoughts from people. I'm sorry. I just, like I said, I'm going to rant on this episode and I want to apologize in advance. I want to kick it off first with Danilo Castro. Danilo, take us through your Fast and the Furious franchise history and what did you think of F9? Um... I historically, I might be the biggest Fast and Furious person on the podcast right now. Okay, uh, you mean like of the three of us or of the entire MVP team? Of the three of us. I'm not you know, you know, let's, let's just say the entire MVP team, too, because not even Josh Parham has seen, seen a single one of these, and he has seen thousands of movies. <laughs> you haven't seen a single one? Nope. Wow. That's that's impressive. Okay, so of the team, then, I'll go, I'll go as far as to say that, then. Um, I enjoy this franchise for its ridiculousness um for its repetitiveness and while there are some that are incredibly dull um i think at its peak namely movies five through seven i think it can be really fun you know sort of dumb action and uh that's really all i want my bar is not incredibly high going into these films with the previous film, The Fate of the Furious, I was slightly let down. It felt like we were running out of steam. And and so I was hoping that this 
particular installment was going to kind of refresh things and, and get things back on track. And uh, it did not do that. It veered further from the road. Um, there's lots of problems here. I'm going to be in agreement with a lot of your guys' issues because I think I have those same issues. And so you guys aren't going to have too much of a fight being put up by me. I think this one is pretty tedious and pretty bloated and pretty unimpressive. And so I'll save the specifics for, you know, the further we get into it. But I think this one, uh, I can safely say this one missed the mark. All right. Daniel Howitt. How about you, sir? Uh, history with the franchise. I, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I am not a fan of this franchise at all. Uh, I've tried. I've tried every time one of these comes out. I like, I commit to seeing it in theaters because I want to give them every chance to wow me. And every single time I just can't, I, I, it's, I can't get there with any of these movies, any of them, even like the, um, you know, like say the stunts don't even like impress you. Honestly, no, they really don't. I think they're lazy and boring uh, because they're so ridiculous and out there that it's just like throwing crap at a wall. So I I am I mean, there are movies like Fast Five, which is clearly better than the rest. But even that I, I would never call myself a fan of that film. Like it's okay at best. So I just can't I just can't with this franchise. So so, you know. You call me biased, whatever you want going into this review. That's fine, but that's where I'm at with this franchise. Uh, you know, 10 films in, I, I knew going into this movie, it'd be unlikely that this would be any different. So just want to admit that up front. <laughs> I have so many complaints of this movie that aren't just that, that aren't necessarily just about this movie. I mean, uh, number one, I cannot stand Dominic Toretto. More accurately, I guess I can't I, I, I dislike everything about Vin Diesel's acting. It is like getting splinters shoved in my eyeballs while the choir of nails on a chalkboard surround me. I hate Whew. it so passionately. It it just bugs the crap out of me. What's even funnier is that you can have like that perception of him and then you hear him in interviews talking about like <laughs> how one of these movies is going to be Oscar nominated for Best Picture. I think he said that about Fury 7 or recently talking about how he had to like coach The Rock to act yeah. better. And it's like, man, Vin, how big has your head gotten because of these movies? Dude, and that I think that that quote from him this week it is exactly the problem that I have with his performance. It is, I don't know what the term is for the exact opposite of self-awareness, but that's what it is. It is just completely unself-aware. He's so serious, it's laughable. I'm, I'm literally like embarrassed for him as, as he act. He's just, he acts like he is, like he deserves a Nobel Peace Prize for his performance in these films. Like it is, it is cringeworthy. I, I, I cannot stand it. I've always felt like Tyrese Gibson and Chris Bridges got the hint as to what kind of movie they were in, and they tailored their their performances so much more comedic that they are the self-aware part of this franchise at this point, which I'll get into in more detail in a bit here because I believe that there are even issues created from that in this particular film. But I agree with you, Dan, that like contrast what they're doing yes. against what Vin Diesel is always doing in these movies. And it's like, he is acting like this is the most serious 
drama yes. of the year that's like not even an act it's like a drama movie Gosh. that happens to have action in it <laughs> yes and it, it, it's just painful every scene uh i guess you know, towards the beginning and towards the end that he had with his son was just uncomfortable i it, just the looks on his face were I, like i wish i could take screenshots it, it was just so weird and look i, I agree with you i think ludicrous and tyrese gibson are uh, they're at least trying. I, I don't really like what they're doing. I don't think it's very funny at all, but they're at least tr- trying to be the comedic relief. So like I can res- I'm not going to tear them down like I'm tearing down Vin Diesel's thing here. It's, it's fine. Yeah. But um, yeah, like I was saying, like even the stunts, like it's just not even interesting. None of the sequences here are cool or interesting or fun. They're just lazy, like a freaking giant magnet in a truck. Is that interesting to anyone? I it's I that was just so silly and dumb and made actually no sense at all. Uh, pulling a car through a freaking building make that make sense? Like I don't. Everything that you're saying right now, it's funny to hear you from this vantage point. It's taken me a while to get there, but with this movie, I'm finally there. Where I think with like with Danilo, Danilo, you're probably <laughs> like so sorry, holding on for dear life, right? Like you're thinking that. Oh, they can they can rally back, guys. There's a chance that you know it might get better. I well, we'll get into that. I, I'm I'm uh, I'm not protesting too much. None of this is hurting that much, just because I think this particular film is. Who there's lots of there's just lots of problems here. So no, no, I'm I'm agreeing with largely what you both of you guys have to say, actually. So like you know, in try, in trying to like course the trajectory here, first film. Small scale movie, uh, you know, takes place in a tiny little town of street racing and it's like involving them stealing DVD computers and what have you. Right. Yeah. Very, very easy, like small time crime movie where, you know, uh, Paul Walker's playing an undercover cop and so on and so forth. Second film, ridiculous, very self-aware, introduces uh, Tyrese Gibson into the series. Fun movie to watch from a nostalgic standpoint, but not a good movie by any stretch. Tokyo Drift, I've heard from most people, is like the guilty pleasure film for a lot of folks. I wasn't really that interested in it because it did lack Vin Diesel and Paul Walker at that point, And it was introducing us to all new characters. And I think Tokyo Drift has gotten better for people over time, but it's still pretty low in the franchise for me. Fast and Furious, which is the fourth film that brought Vin Diesel back is where I was like, wow, kill it with fire. I like not even Vin Diesel coming back is saving this for me at this point. Like these movies are just (laughs) bad now. And then all of a sudden Fast Five comes out and the franchise completely reinvents itself. Dwayne Johnson had a lot to do with that, obviously. I think his inclusion was a spark that these movies needed, but it went from street racing to all of a sudden the crew are, are doing like heists and with each subsequent film, now all of a sudden they're like secret agents working for some sort of, I, I don't even know. It, I'm not going to get into it because once I start getting into it, it starts getting too crazy that I'm just going to start getting mad. <laughs> sixth film, I'll be honest with you, I barely remember the sixth film like at all. That just seemed like a very generic action film that wasn't as good as Fast Five, but was kind of continuing the same formula, if you will. Furious 7 had... The Paul Walker uh, tragedy surrounding it. So that's obviously the most emotional of all the films. Good action. Jason Statham, I thought, was a good antagonist. And then we get to Fate of the Furious. And this is like, I think, kind of like comparing 
Fast and Furious 6 to Fast 5. If you compare Fate of the Furious to Furious 7, it's like they tried to do more of the same in terms of the action while upping the ante. And that's where for a lot of people, they started to, you know, be like, okay, we just had this emotional climax with Paul Walker. And now this movie, they're just really, really going over the top at this point that like people's patience wore thin. For me, I actually loved it. I thought that the Fate of the Furies was embracing uh, a certain level of meta-awareness and was more fun than the previous movies. And I I, I enjoyed it quite a bit, actually. But this one, whew, this movie is too big for its own good. And part of the reason for that, I don't think you could talk about F9 without talking about the rest of the franchise as a whole. Because it feels like problems that have been coming forth over the last couple of films have finally reached like a breaking point here. For example, this series has an unwillingness to kill off characters. An unwillingness. Because even when they kill characters, they come back. And then you have all these characters with all these top names, with all this top billing, and everybody's got to get a certain amount of screen time. So what do you have to do? You have to... Well, first of all, you got to make your plot very convoluted to figure out why these characters are brought back to begin with when previously they were thought to be dead. Then you have to come up with all these contrivances over how this guy killed him. But, oh, it's okay. He's okay with the group now. All of a sudden, why? Oh, you know, because we just need him to be because he's played by a famous actor and he's a fan favorite. The runtime gets longer. The 145-minute runtime of F9 is the longest runtime we've had yet for any of these movies. they got to kill characters. They got to take some characters out of here. Like, what is Helen Mirren doing in this movie? What is Kurt Russell actually doing in this movie? Like, why are these people here at this point? Can anyone tell me? I think what you're saying about the introduction of characters who we thought were dead, it really hits on an issue I have with the film overall, which is that just the retconning is so transparent. Oh, God. It's so haphazardly done that you can't suspend your disbelief for very long. It's just it's so there's so much screen time dedicated to, oh, well, this happened or, oh, this was all planned. And it's it's just it's it's very grating because it's like, come on, this is you could have you could have come up with a better excuse. On I'm how to sorry, but in. based on, you know, this is in the trailer, so we're not spoiling anything here. But Han being killed previously by Deckard Shaw, like. That is the dumbest retcon that this series has done yet. It was it was bad. It was really bad. Because to your point, Danilo, it's not believable. At all. It's not believable. And But but <sighs> guys, how do you how can you say it's not believable when they spend like fifteen minutes of the runtime explaining it to us over and over and over and over again? How can you say the, it's not believable? The thing that killed me about it, like you're right, like you said, it took about fifteen minutes about five of those minutes were actually dedicated to like the car explosion. The rest was to set up another plot point with another character that was introduced with Han's character. So he was asked a direct question as to how he's alive. Instead, we got exposition (laughs) and Oh God, it's just, it's all just so crammed. It's all so haphazardly done. I feel like every single sequence in this film is preceded by bare minimum three minutes of exposition and explaining why this actually makes sense. You guys know, really, uh, and it's just so annoying. Like they just can't do anything in this movie without 
telling us what they're about to do. And you know, and you know what it is too. Sometimes I think a lot of these characters, like the Kurt Russell character, or like Helen Mirren's character, um, I feel, or even a uh, Natalie uh, Emmanuel, who, who admittedly Ramsey does get. Um, one funny scene in this movie where she has to uh, drive and she, funny enough, for a series that was previously about driving, doesn't know how to drive. <laughs> so, but I mean, like, I feel like the existence of a lot of these characters are solely there so that whenever the writers write themselves into a corner plot wise over how to solve a problem, these characters are there because they've got connections, government access, you know, like all these different things that they can do that are used then by the writers to write themselves out of any problems that they have with the plot. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. I do think also there's there's attempts in working in these characters like, oh, they existed in previous installments or previous sequels. And so we're strengthening the lore by having them come back. And it's of all of the films so far, and I don't say this lightly, uh, the over-reliance on the like mythology of the series is really uh, a weak point here. There's, there's, I don't think the movie makes sense without the knowledge of all the other films, and it spends way too much time sort of rehashing what happened to, ha- to stand on its own in, in any capacity. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures love affairs and tragedies now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories from the makers of death of a rock star and death of a sports star this is death of a film star starring heath ledger marilyn monroe chadwick boseman robin williams carrie fisher and bruce lee Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... Lucas Black uh, is back here along with uh, Bow Wow and Jason Tobin, uh, all of them from Tokyo Drift. Then you have like, oh man, like Shea Wiggum shows up at one point. I even forgot that he was even in this franchise. With a really <laughs> botched up nose for some reason. I mean, yeah. oh, freaking Gal Gadot is in this franchise. I For some reason, I had forgotten about that too. <laughs> like... <laughs> Everyone is in these movies. Michael Rucker shows up. He he he's one of the new additions uh, to the franchise now. He plays uh, he plays Buddy. What a name! I found his con- I found his inclusion to be baffling. They didn't do anything with Michael Rucker. Yep, nothing. Well, all right. 
So this is like problem number one is that the series is unwilling to kill off characters. And because of that, everything just keeps growing because they're not chipping away. I mean, unfortunately, due to tragedy, Paul Walker is no longer uh, in this franchise, yet they found a way to bring back uh, Jordana Brewster as Mia because the whole storyline of this movie is the relationship between Dom and Jacob and their brothers, which <laughs> I'm sorry, even when the trailer first came out and the plot revealed itself, I was like, Vin Diesel and John Cena are brothers. Yeah. <laughs> OK, sure. That's <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I still don't. I, I still do not believe that one bit. And I'm also struggling to know also now at this point what ethnicity of a Toretto family is actually supposed to be now, because I, I, I'm i just confused at this point. It's, it's very ethnically ambiguous at this point. Uh, needless to say, because of this whole storyline of two brothers, a brother, but by the way, we've never, ever heard about not once prior to the events of this movie. None whatsoever. <laughs> That's that is one of the most, like I said, one of the most blatant retcons that the world's biggest family man has a brother yeah, exactly. that he's never talked about. Doesn't make any sense. So we have to bring back Jordana Brewster. She has to become part of the plot. And then they also have to then write in why she's back. But Brian is not. And. At a certain point, it's like you guys have in your attempt to expand this world, like you said, Danilo, bring back these characters and unwillingness to kill characters off. The explanations that are given for why characters are still included in this story are so ridiculous. And I get it. The action is ridiculous, too. So there has to be a suspension of disbelief. I I, I understand that part of it, but Here's the problem with suspension of disbelief. And this leads into problem number two here. You need to introduce stakes. And this franchise's unwillingness to kill off characters is something now that even the characters themselves are joking about in the movie. Through dialogue. They're saying, oh, isn't it funny how we go on these secret missions and we defy physics and our cars are flying through the air. Our bodies are flying through the air, crashing into shit. We don't have a scar on us. Not one. Yeah, that that, that whole sequence, um, which is probably the dumbest uh, action sequence I have ever seen uh, committed to film, uh, was when uh, the car gripped onto the rope and it swings and they have a deadly smash into into the side of a cliff. They just, they smash that sucker into the side of a cliff. And then it rolls twice and it lands. The car is smashed to bits. And then Dom and, uh, and uh, Michelle Rodriguez just kind of go, huh, that was crazy. It's like, oh, so we don't need to have any sort of stakes or grounding. You guys cannot be hurt not even injured you guys can't even be injured uh so what's the point like this is just dumb they even have a fake out death at one point with uh one of the characters i'll just say who it is because you know at this point i don't give a fuck it was uh with roman <laughs> and i legitimately thought it early on in this movie oh my god they're gonna kill off roman and i was convinced that that was going to happen during the landmine scene and it didn't it didn't happen. There's even a scene where he's surrounded by about 20 armed thugs with guns and, and they also have the high ground on him. And he somehow 
is able to kill off all of them and not a single bullet actually hits him from any one of these guys. Fucking impossible. It was so like obvious. Yeah. Like it's, guys, try to try to make it look a little better. If you're gonna have him not get hit by bullets, like they're two feet away from him and yeah. firing countless bullets at There's him. There's no reason he should have survived that like, what at all. What is happening? And it's like, okay, they want to make fun of that and they want to like draw attention to it. Okay, fine. But then you know what you need to do? You need to have that set up so that there's something called payoff, exactly. which they don't do at the end of the movie when you think they are going to do it because they even call back to it. I was so convinced that there was going to be a character arc with him and Ludacris at the end of this movie. I was so convinced of it. And I was like, okay, fine. If they do this, I will forgive the movie just a little bit. Spoiler alert. No. Nope. Everyone's fine. Having fucking Coronas, barbecues, and smiles. <laughs> I hate that. It, it, it's a really so weird choice if they were never going to uh, take the invincibility out of the equation to then take away the illusion of it. Like, oh, well, like, they think maybe they could be in danger. So at least, you know, the, there's there's that component of it where they're, like, scared or what have you. But you're right. Now it's them just saying, well, nothing's going to hurt us. So – the suspension of disbelief is just completely gone. Like at this point, this, the franchise has lost all of its stakes and all of the, quite honestly, all of the emotion that I had built up for this franchise, kind of when it did restart with Fast Five, I like had re renewed um, faith in this franchise and I was really, really drawn to the characters. Obviously, the loss of Paul Walker uh, affected that. You know, I, I really, really felt, especially with Fury 7, really a strong, deep connection to these characters because I knew that they, too, in real life were hurting over the loss of their friend, their co-star. And it was something that I think helped this franchise in terms of the audience participation. But now, I'm not saying that you have to kill everyone, but what I am saying is that this is the epitome of a dumb action film. And I'm sorry, but when we've had over the last couple of years, Mad Max Fury Roads, John Wick's, Mission Impossible's even, which this franchise is like sort of feels like it, it wants to be. I'm sorry. You got to do better. The bar has been raised. Yeah. The thing is, I, I might... Uh, be able to get over the suspension of disbelief, the ridiculous nature of these films as a whole, the, uh, you know, not killing off characters. I might be able to get over some of that if the action was any good. And it's just not. I will admit in this one, it was definitely overdone and it wasn't good. Uh, there were times where the CGI uh, was off and didn't look quite good. I did like in the final uh, scene with the magnet. I do have a note here where I wrote down, is this like a on-screen record for the most destroyed cars in a film? Yeah. Because there were a lot of cars being destroyed in that final sequence. Like, a lot. There were. Um, and it wasn't CGI. Like, those were practical crashes, which I appreciate. And I actually... And I actually did like a lot of that final scene because of that. I like that scene, and I like them racing through the landmines... I like that section of that scene. I don't like that whole scene on at like together because we already mentioned a couple things that happened in that scene that are completely insane. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, that was really it. <sighs> I I couldn't even buy 
their attempts to build up Jacob as a strong antagonist for this movie because I feel like they're just rinsing and repeating what they've done with someone like Deckard Shaw in Furious 7. Mm-hmm. It's like the same thing. He could fight. He could drive. He's got all these spy connections. It's it's kind of a rehash of what we've already seen before. Oh, but we're going to throw a little wrinkle in there. He's Dominic's brother. But the problem is, is that as a result of that, John Cena, oh, man, like Vin Diesel is playing this so straight that when the emotional vulnerability of their connection starts to creep in into the plot a bit more and you realize that he is this bit of a insecure baby, almost like um, I saw this comparison online. Someone compared it to Adam Driver in the new Star Wars trilogy as Kylo <laughs> Ren. And, and, it, and it comes off as un, uh, unintentionally laughable. In some of these scenes where John Cena is trying to play it so serious. And and to be fair to John Cena, I think he's trying to do Vin Diesel in the Fast and Furious movies, you know? Yes. And so when you're doing an imitation of that, you're going to be wooden. So I don't know. Maybe he nailed it by being terrible. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, the thing is, in the past, I feel like when they've brought in The Rock or Jason Statham, these guys know how to lean into like the broadness of these films. Yeah. Yeah. But but you're right. We already have Vin Diesel, John Cena trying to emulate that. It's it's like pouring a glass of water into another glass of water. Like we have enough already of that. Yeah, we're fucking drowning at this point. We're, <laughs> we're being waterboarded as as an audience. God, what'd you guys think of the uh, flashback narrative structure uh, to Dominic Toretto's uh, past and with Jacob and having the younger actors play uh, the characters? Because I, you know, for what it's worth. At least that was something different that the franchise hasn't like done before in terms of, you know, just structuring uh, the film's storytelling. So I guess that's what kind of makes this movie somewhat unique from the others. Uh, but I don't know. What you guys think of all those scenes? I mean, I don't know. It was... It was fine, I guess. It was just as bad as the rest of it. I don't know. It was. I, I, I appreciated that it looked like it was shot on film stock. Uh, yeah, I guess. Compared to the HD glossy look of the uh, of the present, I think the best thing I can compliment those sequences on is is that I think the, they nailed the casting of the young versions of Vin Diesel and John Cena. I was like, okay, I can. Uh, I think you guys look a lot like the characters, and they did. Uh, very wooden. Uh, they gave very wooden performances. Uh, you know, so I think they nailed that. You know, because uh, that's that's about all I can talk about. I mean, because we already we already you know discussed how there's no stakes at all. So like I wasn't invested in their story. So the the, the you know those sequences didn't help me care about the characters anymore or anything like that. It was it it you know made just about as much sense as the rest of it did. Oh, I was just gonna say my issue with the flashbacks. Uh, Howard is right. The actors do a good job at emulating just the very stoic delivery that both John Cena and Vin Diesel have. The problem I have is that the characters themselves are not interesting on their own. We like the characters because, well, we like Dom Toretto because Vin Diesel plays him and we like Vin Diesel, some of us. If you strip that component away from it, he is not an interesting character psychologically. And so putting a different person in that role, it strips away sort of the appeal. And I would venture to say the same happens with John Cena's character. We're watching actors we don't know play bland characters instead of celebrities we know play bland characters. And and, and so I, I think the flashback structure 
while different, doesn't really hold attention, I think, the way they wanted it to. They attempt to kind of bring it all together at the end when Dom's having uh, flashbacks to the scenes that we've seen earlier. And the present day Dom is like inserting himself into these flashbacks and so on and so forth. It's very cheesy. It's very cheesy. But I appreciated that they at least tried to weave it into the story and give this movie, like I said, some sort of a unique identity. Um, Because at this point, we're nine films in. And a lot of the movies have always, in my opinion, felt like they were carbon copies of previous ones in some ways. Uh, But at least like now when we look back at this one, instead of saying, oh, like that's the one starring John Cena, we can also say, oh, that's the one with John Cena with the flashbacks. Uh, I'm just saying it's something that you can quickly reference to that this one has that the other ones don't have. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's the it's the Godfather 2 of the series. (laughs) (laughs) Don't ever let Vin Diesel hear you say that. (laughs) Oh, that's... <laughs> just like Vin Diesel is gonna kiss John Cena on the lips. You broke my heart, Jacob. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, you know it's like not funny though. The jokes in this movie. <laughs> Man, dude, the whole space sequence was so painful. Next to watching Vin Diesel act, that was one of the <laughs> the things I hated the most. It was so dumb. They're in a freaking, what is it, Fiero? Like, <laughs> give me a break, you guys. Like, just try harder. It was just fans, so dumb. Fans have kicked around the idea, like, let them go to space. Like, it's so ridiculous. Why not? I think when they said Fast and Furious in space, like, that concept, I don't think they just pictured it being Tyrese and Ludacris in a car for 10 minutes. Right, right. It's a complete like a uh, uh, defanging of like what the potential of that could have been in terms of just like ridiculous camp. And it's just completely squandered on such a boring scene. And like you said, Matt, a scene that doesn't even pay off uh, an arc that was like established earlier. Yep. That's why that's why I hate it. I and, and, and you know, at this point, they're rehashing jokes that they've uh, done in previous films. There's. Uh, there, there are comedic elements uh, b- between the characters, like some of the relationships they have with each other that are just recycled, rinse and repeat all over again as well. And so as a result, like I can understand that people still think that some of the humor in these movies are funny, but they are a far cry from when the series was at its peak in terms of its humor. And dear God, there there are even lines written about Star Wars. Oh, the Yoda joke in this it was something that I was like, who had the audacity to think, oh, yeah, this is brilliant. I'm actually going to write this and get this approved. And they're actually going to say the dialogue. Oh, wait, no, sorry. We'll get an Oscar winning actress to say this dialogue. <laughs> it's so telegraphed, too. I can't believe that that made it into the final film. That's how bad it is. And the, I was already cringing because the, the Star Wars character, the Star Wars references like leading up to that line. Mm-hmm. And it's already like, oh, and then that line like brings it home like, oh, they really thought like building to that was going to be like, like a big moment. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Which kind of leads me into now um, this question, because this is something that was kind of a surprise to me. I didn't really get this sense from the film's marketing at all. Um, what did you guys think of? And I hope I'm saying this right. 
to Ersted Rasmussen as Otto in this movie because he is low-key the film's true antagonist and clearly a stand-in for the Donald Trumps of the world. So what do you guys think of all of that? I mean, they even have a line in this movie about how spoiled rich pricks uh, run the world. Uh, like, come on. I think there. I think the the connections, the the commentary, if you if I want to be so bold as to use that word, <laughs> were super loose. Um, I think the comparison you just made is probably as far as they thought into it. And so I don't know. There's not a lot to unpack. He's yeah. he has some really cheesy lines, like we alluded to. Um, pretty unmemorable. I I can't say I'm. I, I can't be like, I, you know, I hope he comes back sort of thing. Did he even die? No, I don't even remember. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of hilarious to me that you have John Cena in this as the marketing's supposed villain. You have this guy as the film's true villain. But the real villain and the villain that I actually am still somewhat interested in. And I still like her inclusion into this series because I liked her so much in Fate of the Furious is Charlize Theron. She's still sticking around and still kicking. That's right. So you have to believe that either one of two things are happening. Either she's the big bad of the rest of the final two films in this franchise, or they're going to find some stupid way to get her to turn good and be on the team side somehow. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, They do this with everybody. Nobody dies. I'm still trying to figure out why and how. Spoiler alert again. I am sorry. I am sorry I'm spoiling this movie, people. I am still trying to wrap my brain around why the team forgave Jacob at the end of this movie and why all of a sudden everybody's cool with him and why he even, what, because Otto betrayed him and Otto cut him out of the deal? Come on. Really? It's family. It was pretty awkward when they like welcome jason statham's character into the family oh don't even get me started don't even get me started on that (laughs) because the end credits of this movie establishes that he doesn't even know that han is alive which thinks which means that jason statham all this time has believed that he did indeed kill han so why is the rest of the team okay with that yes and so this is somehow an even more botched version of that because it, it yeah, it's such a quick turnaround to where they're enemies, and then suddenly Dom is like, "Yeah, no, your family, exactly." <laughs> like I said, it's like, uh, okay, that was that was head spinningly fast. God, if I took a shot every time I watched these movies and they said family, oh, I don't think I would survive. I'm pretty sure there are there are some movies where he says family in uh, excess of ten times. I'm almost positive of that. <laughs> Those are better movies than this. <laughs> God, I'd rather have that problem than all of the problems that we have here. Yeah, yeah. I really don't know what else there is to go into, so I'll just pass it over to final thoughts at this point. Anything that we didn't mention that you want to mention, how it. The thing about this movie is, is it, you know, it's being called one of the worst of the franchise, all all of that jazz. Um, My question is, is it? uh, Is it that much worse? Or... Is this the same as the rest of them? I, I no, no. I, I here's I, okay. So, so I, I understand how it. These aren't for you. I get that. <laughs> I think an argument can truly be made that Fast Five and Furious Seven are the best that this franchise has had to offer so far. And then, like Fast and the Furious Six is 
a good, like, kind of in-between, just subpar action movie that's not too bad. Fate of the Furious, I think, is where the series definitely starts to get, like, goofy over the top. And and for people that are, like, already fans of this franchise, they haven't lost us yet. Like, I was not off the wagon right away with Fate of the Furious. I know that there were a lot that were. Uh, but now with this one, I'm like, yo, you guys got to do something. And it reminds me a lot of where the franchise was with, God, I'm getting the titles now mixed up, Fast and Furious, uh, the fourth film, before they rebooted it with Fast Five. Like, they do have two films left. So they could learn from the mistakes and take in the feedback that they're receiving, hopefully with uh, some of the dwindling uh, reviews that this film has gotten compared to some of the others uh, in, in the last couple. And maybe they can end strong. I'm not saying that they have time to reboot the franchise again, but maybe they can find a way to somehow bring all this together, establish stakes and kill off some characters to create an emotional, like a level of investment again that just ends this series on a high note. You know, I, I guess what to answer your question, how it I don't think it's been more of the same. I think it's been ups and downs, peaks and valleys. That's fair. So let me say this. I am happy that these films make people happy. Um, I wish I could partake in the enjoyment that these films typically give. I'm so sorry to people who are disappointed with this one. Uh, but yeah, I, th- these films just aren't for me. And uh, this, this one uh, especially uh, made me angry, mainly because of Vin Diesel's acting. There you go. Do you know Castro? I enjoy the franchise as a whole. I have friends who I regularly watch these movies with. So it is sort of a communal thing where we sort of laugh at the absurdity of the fun ones, at least. But uh, I got to say, having watched this film with that same group of people, we we are running out of gas. And like Matt was saying, unless we pull over and fill back up, I don't see them. I don't see them crossing the finish line successfully. That's the end of my car pun uh, <laughs> string. <there>. Um, <laughs> I think that the choices to retcon certain things were really shoddily done. I think the new characters fell flat. We didn't even talk about the Cardi B cameo. Didn't really enjoy that. Mm. Um, and I know she's going to be playing a larger part, supposedly, in the future film. So I don't know. Her, I'm assuming, seeing this character's coming back. They just they just seem like... Everyone's coming back. Huh? Literally. They're going to find they're gonna find a way to bring Luke Evans somehow back into all of this, I'm sure. Absolutely. <laughs> a building fell on him, but he's still alive. Yeah. <laughs> And so, yeah, that too, just the fact that everything is just so, there's no stakes. I just, I feel like we're leaning into the bad tendencies of the franchise, whereas before I thought we were playing up the good. And 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 so this one was a disappointment for me, and I hope they turn it around, but I don't know. The the odds seem to be against it right now. This, is, this was a pretty joyless slog. Um, there were a couple like absurd action scenes I enjoyed. Um, I laughed out loud the scene where, uh, Dom decides to just fight like 30 henchmen and like pulls down like cement support beams. Do you guys remember that scene? (laughs) Yeah, I do. That was actually, that was, that was pretty hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) So it's, it's moments like that where I'm, I'm struggling to comprehend what I'm looking at that 
I enjoy because it's just like this is ridiculous. N- not another action movie would do something this kind of, you know, silly. Um, but those moments uh, where I'm sort of laughing with the film rather than at it are, are they're just they're few and far between here. So, yeah, no, this would not be this would not be one I recommend to someone to like win them over to the franchise. This is uh, this one's firmly at the bottom for me. <sighs> OK, so. I remember reviewing uh, Hobbs and Shaw two years ago. Mm. Believe it or not, it was actually two years ago. I, I still can't believe that it. it's been that long. <laughs> it's been four years since Fate of the Furious, too, which is wild to think about. I enjoyed Hobbs and Shaw for what it was. I was mixed on it, but I enjoyed it for what it was. And to tell you the truth, at this point, if this franchise had been even as much fun as that film and didn't take itself so goddamn seriously, I think that that would be enough to kind of get this series back on track, if you will. The thing that like I'm so angry about and why I've lost my shit now more than once on this uh, podcast review, which I knew I was going to do, you know, I, I did warn you all at the top of the show here, is because this franchise managed to get me to care again. And now it has squandered that. That's insulting. That's upsetting. And quite frankly, it's a little embarrassing. I mean, Dwayne Johnson was, for this franchise, so vital, at least I think. I think that's evident even in the uh, Hobbs and Shaw film, which didn't feature any of the other characters that are in this film. I think his presence is greatly missed here. And the beef that he has with Vin Diesel, there's been so much written about it, you know, over the last couple of years that... I just hope they can find a way to somehow bring him back. I'm not saying that he is like, you know, the only thing that they need to do to end this series, but I think it would help. I also think it would help if they didn't try to make these movies over two and a half hours long and didn't also try to make them seem like they are, as mentioned before, the godfather (laughs) of streetcar racing movies or of action films at this point. I don't even know what they are anymore. And I think that's part of the problem is that they're trying to be a little bit of everything. And they're also repeating the same themes over and over and over. They're repeating the same jokes over and over and over. They are bringing back characters from the dead. They are bringing back characters from previous films. And the movie is not big enough to hold all of them. And as a result, it crumbles. This is not rocket science, people. Even though rocket science is a part of this fucking movie. Yeah, they're trying to make it rocket science. (laughs) I don't understand why this is so difficult. I don't know if it's a, a mentality of more is more. Well, you know what? Sometimes less is more. I think that if they introduce stakes, they can keep the level of action as freaking crazy as they want it to be. They could e- they could even keep trying to up the ante with each film if they want to. But unless if they introduce stakes where characters can get hurt, characters can die, your audience is not going to care. They're not going to care. They're just not. <sighs> They even have that line in the movie, as long as we obey the laws of physics, we'll be fine. <laughs> they don't obey the laws of physics, and yet they're still fine. I, I just don't I, don't, I don't understand the rules anymore of this franchise, and I don't understand what they're doing anymore. And like I said, people have told me, oh, wow, it's taken you 
till now to figure this out. Listen, people, I enjoy a dumb good action movie every now and then. I do. Like, I like the first Transformers movie, you know, by Michael Bay. It's dumb, but it's fun. And I liked some of the films in this franchise, too. But what they're doing with this, it ain't it. It ain't it. All right, that's it for my final thoughts here. Oh, wait, I got to throw one last line out there. Um, your chin is distinctive. Oh, that was a weird. That was a weird exchange, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yes, it <laughs> was. Just something about you have like a Nordic chin. It was. And then, and then they start commenting on how the, the Toretto's are known for their mixed bloodlines. Right. I'm like, what are you, Targaryen? Like, what is this? <laughs> Do you think it was just a bet to see like what they could get Charlize Theron to say? Like it was just. She has some really bizarre like a ones. like it's like a running joke of some sort. Yeah, <laughs> my favorite oh. was uh, was Dom tells Michelle Rodriguez, "Be careful," and and she says, "Careful gets you killed." <laughs> what? <laughs> what? I don't understand. What? That explains his mindset. I guess so. Do you remember? You guys remember when? Uh... <laughs> oh God! Do you remember when they're like in the separate holding cells and? The crew are in one and Cena's in the other, and he sees them embracing each other and being a family. <laughs> and he gets like all watery eyed. Oh, uh, he looks so hurt. <laughs> all he wanted was that Dom Toretto hug. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I just want this franchise to hug me again. <laughs> You're John Cena in, in captivity there? <laughs> That's how I am watching this franchise, exactly. Everybody's having fun over here, and I'm just like, wait, wait, what about me? <laughs> He's a surrogate for the audience. <laughs> oh, fuck this shit. I'm giving it a three out of ten. <laughs> Uh, Daniel Howitt. <laughs> Two out of ten. No oh. apologies. Oof. Oof. Danilo. I almost want to give it a little leniency because I like the franchise as a whole, but if I'm being honest with myself, it's a three out of ten. And there is no Oscar potential. Sorry, Vin. It ain't happening with this one. <laughs> <laughs> now hold on. Let's let's think clearly about this. No, come on, Howitt. <laughs> Cena for supporting actor? Not for this. Suicide Squad is still coming out. <laughs> I, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, I, yeah, no. I mean, Howard, are you serious? Are, are, are you giving us any? No. Are you giving us consideration for something? No. <laughs> Come on, Matt. No, Come no, no. I'm, I'm saying that because, like, <laughs> if the other movies couldn't like make a dent in like even the sound and visual effects categories, Fury. I mean, at the very least, Fury Seven should have been nominated for original song. Oh, totally agree. And they couldn't even do that. There hasn't been an, a, a single nomination, right? I just want to make sure I'm not forgetting. Uh, no. Okay. No. Yeah, I I agree. Fury Seven original song that, that song that really that really should have happened like that, yeah that that really should have happened so i think if they could not even do that as a tribute to paul walker to at least acknowledge this franchise at its peak unless if the franchise somehow reinvents itself again with these final two films and pulls out all the stops to make like some of the best action films that we've ever seen which i highly doubt that this franchise is capable of at this point i do not see any awards voting body uh going for this because i do think that deep down a lot of people in the awards communities and the people that work on quote unquote what martin scorsese would call cinema i think that they look down on these types of movies and they don't want to reward them which is you know that's a whole other conversation for a whole other time <laughs> All right, Danilo, where can they find you on the internet? 
You can find me on Twitter at Danilo S. Castro. Daniel Howitt. I just realized the guy who played young Vin Diesel is also named Vinny. So I just wanted to I just wanted to throw that out there. That, uh, <laughs> That's amazing. That was that was incredible to me. Okay. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Howitt DK. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of F9 here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. And if you want to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, rate us five stars, leave us a comment, let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we shall see you all next time. They better call the 10 film Fast 10 your seatbelts or else what the hell are we doing here, people? Oh, that's good. I've heard that tossed around over the years and I fully co-sign it and I want it, I want it to happen at this point. Yeah. No, that's that's a good one. They're not going to do that, though. They're going to call You know what they're going to do? They're going to call it Fast and the Furious X Part 1. That's probably you very think there'll accurate. be a subtitle. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I can't. I'm still trying to justify why there's an 11 film because 10 is just such a nice number to end things on. And all I can think of is that there's going to be a part one and a part two. I yeah. think that's where they're going. Yeah. So where we'll get every character who's ever been in a Fast and Furious film. Yep. Assembling like it's Endgame. And then we'll red wedding them and like just kill off all of them. Oh, that'd be <laughs> so good. They're they're all gonna pull up in a car. It's just like. 50 lanes worth of cars they're all gonna show up like all these characters from all the past movies we're all gonna be happy and the next thing you know a bunch of men like with guns are gonna come out and someone's gonna say dwayne johnson sends his regards and they're all gonna just like lay them all out with bullets like the red (laughs) wedding (laughs) godfather style again yeah yeah exactly circle uh all right guys well that was fun yeah it was funner than the movie Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.